Hey there, it's Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical Podcast. No, we won't be overthrowing any governments, but we will be learning from radical creatives who rule the world. I'm Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical. We have a great show this week. Joining me on The Radical are the legendary Danny Korchmar and Leland Sklar of the super band, The Immediate Family. The band's new EP just recently debuted at number six on the Billboard chart. While you still may not be familiar with this band, you will connect the dots on the many projects Danny and Leland have contributed to. These gentlemen have been frequent collaborators, both on stage and in the studio, with artists such as Jackson Brown, James Taylor, Don Henley, Linda Ronstadt, Stevie Nicks, Keith Richards, Graham Nash, Neil Young, David Crosby, amongst many others. As musicians, songwriters, and producers, they have contributed on many great albums and dozens of chart-topping singles. This is a great one, folks, as both these guys have seen it all in rock and roll. Coming up, my chat with Danny Korchmar and Leland Sklar. Hello, Leland. Hello, Danny. Welcome to the show. Oh, man. It is a pleasure to be here, Nick. Yeah, we're very happy to be here. Well, not as happy as I am. This is the highlight of my month, I think, um, where there's very few of that going on right now. Um, How are your years going? I mean, how has this affected? I mean, with the immediate family, I assume you had touring plans to support yeah, we did. Record. We did. But just like everybody else, everything got canceled or put off, you know, uh, just like everybody. You know? Yeah, it's I'm, surreal. It's surreal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you guys know how much touring you had ahead? I mean, did you have stuff booked that actually had to be kind of. There was on? stuff that was solid and then there was stuff that was building. Uh, and then the pro- our, our agent was in the process of putting a bunch of stuff together. Some of it had been booked and then some of it was going to be added to what we already had. And then it all went away. Yeah, a lot of things are are, are just in kind of slow mo. I mean, we're moving forward. We're instead of releasing the album that we were going to release, we're releasing EPs until such time as we can actually release the album. And Denny Tedesco, who did the Wrecking Crew movie, is doing a documentary film about us. It's still moving forward, but it just slowed down because of you know proximity of interviews and things like that. People. The most important thing right now is staying safe. When you see these numbers soaring daily and the amount of people dying, man, I, I just want us all to be here when, when the light comes at the end of the tunnel and it's not just a fucking train coming at us. Right. Well, that makes perfect sense. And so the EP we're talking about came out in October. Is it Slipping and Sliding? That's the EP. And it actually debuted at number six on the Billboard Blues chart. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Congratulations. We didn't know we were, we didn't know we were a blues band. <laughs> I was going to say congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought you guys were being a rock band in this, but congratulations. So, <laughs> Well, you know, any, any, any good rock and roll always has blues in it. It's got tons of blues in it because that's where it all started. So we'll take it. Yeah. Fine. So how many songs have you written like in total then since you're sending them out like in segments? Oh, man. How many? <laughs> we have a lot of stuff recorded. We have an album that's going to come out next year. A full album. Uh, and we've recorded, we, we got seven, we got 17 tracks finished and ready to go. Um, 
but we have to hold back on it until uh, such time as it's deemed to be an appropriate time to release this stuff and when it's going to have the most impact. Right. And I mean, is all that writing, songwriting that was all done internally just amongst you guys? That's right. Yeah. Nice. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. all, original, all original stuff done by us. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's primarily Cooch and Wadi and Postel are the main writers in the group. Um, I haven't really contributed on that level because I'm pathetic. But, um, but, I, but I, I'm happy to grovel at brilliant feet and I'm lucky to be in a band with them. Right. And have you guys, I mean, literally, like, have you guys been aware of each other or friends for like five decades? Yeah. Yes. Damn. Recently, yeah. Damn. We started together. Russ and Lee and I started together in like 1970. Is that right, Lee? Yeah. 1970. Yeah. And um, we started playing together then uh, with, with James Taylor and Carol King and, and, and other people. And uh, then Wad came on the set about five, six years later. We met him and he fit right in. We love him. And Postel is the kid. He's the youngest guy in the band. He's on, we've only known him about 10, 12 years. So, uh, yes, <laughs> that's amazing. we go back way back. Well, the, thing that's, the thing that's remarkable, too, is in five decades, there's never been a harsh word passed between any of us. This has been a band of friendship and brotherhood the entire time when you hear about these groups that travel separately, they can't stand each other, they're always fighting. That has never been part of our equation. This is really, a, right. a, the, the immediate family name, which Cooch Penn, is the most perfect name actually this band could have had. Right, the only other- that's what we are. Yeah, the only alternative I had for you guys was like Ben Button, like on Benjamin Button, because it took you guys, most kids start the band when they're teenagers, you guys decided to do it a few decades later, so. Yeah. Work well, we're incredibly we're incredibly lucky to be able to at this point uh, be have you know be in a, a rock and roll band together after all the time we spent backing people up and we love what we did we love the people we that we played we have nothing but respect and admiration and affection for everyone we played with but we also love creating our own stuff and our own material and it's it's been a real blessing to be able to do it yeah that's so fantastic and, and, and everybody's still at the top of their game that's the whole thing I mean age is really defied uh, in this thing, because when we get together, we may as well be 18 years old the way we play, except we play with more maturity. Right. That's mm -hmm. the Benjamin Button of it. I'm telling you yeah, guys, yeah, it's, it's an amazing is. combination. So, um, so how much like outside stuff, I mean, have you guys still continue to do as far as sessions or like, Dan, I know you produce a bit, um, still doing a bunch of that. I mean, not in the current environment uh, if you're asking if you're asking me uh i i uh, stopped producing and and uh, a while ago and uh as far as sessions i haven't done, i haven't really been doing sessions since the 80s when i was kicked upstairs and, and became a producer by don henley leland on the other hand is one of the most in-demand musicians in the world and constantly is constantly adding stuff and, and playing on sessions so you want to talk to him about it yeah. yeah yeah this year was a full year between the band and other projects um, and it just, it went away like a fart in a hurricane, you know, it just, it was done when the minute this hit, we were fortunate with the band that, um, in February, we did a thing called the rock legends cruise. And, uh, it was like Roger Daltrey and Nancy Wilson and Mark Farner and all these people on it. And they booked the immediate family on the tour. So it was our last opportunity to really do live gig. And then, um, and it's right after that tour, right after that cruise is when everything locked down. So I've been spending this whole year um, doing things I never thought I would ever do. I created a YouTube channel and a, 
that's really been successful in a, a clubhouse. Uh, I finished a book that I never thought I would get to, uh, a photo uh, book. Um, I have just lots of pride, and it's the first time I've ever recorded at home. I have uh, SSL sent me an interface, and I plugged into GarageBand, and I just finished doing a track for a guy in Ireland this morning. And uh, so, you know, just trying to stay viable. But, but if I could blink right now, and we were at the airport getting on a plane to hit the road, I would be so happy because this is my this is my dream. I I've spent fifty years like the rest of us, getting to this point. And it was really shocking that suddenly all these doors were just, boom, opening up and all of a sudden everything slammed shut. But we have patience, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna see this through. And, and like, I'm, Cooch, every time I talk to him, he's, he's writing more material. We'll, maybe we'll get in and cut more songs just so we have lots and lots of stuff because it's what we do. Yeah, that's right. Leland, I watched the uh, YouTube channel, which is fascinating. and. You know, what a treat for people to be able to go there and watch you put those lines down that we've got etched in our brains for decades. And it's, that's a really wonderful, like, undertaking you're doing there. And one other question. Is it really true you've played on 2,600 albums? Somewhere, you know, I mean, I, I never counted that. I, I've yeah. had some, during the years, I, I had people that do, like, forensics um, checking and said, well, it's somewhere in the, you know, I would say if I, if I said 2000, that would be very, very safe um, to say, because I've got all my old date books, but I really, I never think about the past. I mean, I think about right now and tomorrow, you know, the past is for people that want to talk about that. But for me, man, I'm still plowing forward with, you know, and with my brothers, it's, it's magic. None of us, none of us live in the past. You know, no, that's clear. We're, we're more, mostly interested in the present and in the future. You right. know? And do you, Although we're very proud. We're all very proud of what we've done. But yeah. Right. And do you guys think that's like the underlying theme of like how to continue being creative and contributing like throughout life? I mean, you can't, you just got to have this go forward mentality. Um, what do you attribute well, your creativity to over this many decades? Well, for me, it's for one thing, the inability to do anything else. <laughs> one thing. And the other would be, it's just love. It's something I, you know, as soon as I started playing the guitar when I was 11 or 12 years old, I was like, that's it. I had no plan B. I wasn't going to go backward. I was just going to play guitar and play rock and roll. And that was it. And I had no other goal or, or desire in my life. And I'm still for the same way. And I mean, for me. yeah, go ahead, Leland. No, that's same for me. Um, I, I think it's, it's this quest to always be creating and, and moving forward where there's so many people that talk about what they did 30 years ago, you know, and, and it's great. I love what everybody did 30 years ago, but for a lot of people, that's kind of where it stopped and they're still living that where we're just chomping at the bit to move forward at this point. And I think that's what keeps the, the juices flowing. That's amazing. Um, Danny, do you like, how do you, I mean, and we're talking about going forward here, but just on a legacy front, how do you like to have yourself characterized? I mean, you're a songwriter, a producer. Um, what really to you are you most kind of locked into as an identity of sorts? I don't know. Music guy. Yeah. Would be all right. You know, uh, I don't know what to say about that. To me, it's all, the, it's all connected. Yes. Playing the guitar, writing songs, producing, singing, performing. It's all, it's all the same thing, basically. And you got to give your all in all those areas. But it's a joy. It's a joy to do it. You know. Uh, 
that's all I can say about it. It's an absolute pleasure. And it's, and it's a blessing for all of us to be able to do what we love and get paid for it. Did you guys both grow up with like music in the household? I mean, how did you guys become players or how did you find the passion for this you're early? Assuming, you're assuming we grew up. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> I grew up in a very eclectic household musically. Uh, you know, my mom played a little bit of piano. My dad played just enough sax to make me cry out of, in grief. Um, and finally he got rid of that. But their, their record collection was very, very extensive. And so I, they exposed me to a lot of music. In fact, the first concert they ever took me to was the George Shearing Quintet with the High Lows. And I think I was 11 years old when it, oh, they took me. So. And we used to go to Gershwin night at the Hollywood Bowl every summer and stuff like that. So I, it was kind of in my DNA. Are you guys both just native Southern Californians then, or no? No. Okay. Leland's from Milwaukee originally, and I'm from New York City. There you go. I can hear it in your voice still. Dan. Ah, good. It's good. still there. <laughs> it never goes away. Still there. And so you guys on this record, though, prior to COVID, I mean, you did get some dates in live together? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we played um, twice now. We've done the Iridium. We've done a week at the Iridium in New York. Um, you know, we had, we were just getting really rolling with this. The focus really was on the recording and getting the records done and, and, and those obligations, um, which we really enjoy. It's not an obligation. Um, but then we were lining up gigs and, uh, and, 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 and every gig, the band got stronger and stronger. And that's, uh, that's what we're anxious to do is really get a run going where we can get out for a month or two and really go out every night. And this this will become even a more ferocious animal than it is now, I think, with that kind of consistency. And you guys still, I mean, I can hear it. I mean, you still have that road thing in you that it's just natural to you guys that that's where you belong. So, yeah, we spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time on the road for sure. So, yeah, and it never goes away. It's incredible. Yeah. And on the EP, you have a couple of songs that um, each of you have maybe co-written in some cases that you've covered. Um, also, or not? Well, on the EP, yeah, there's uh, Werewolves of London that Wadi wrote with, with Warren Zevon, of course. And there's uh, a tune of mine, um, um, New York Minute, that I wrote with Don Henley. So, yeah, there's always collaborations. You know, I've collaborated with a lot of different people. I've been very lucky to have been, ha you know, had my music performed and, and, and recorded by Henley and James and Jackson. It's just great, you know, it's really amazing thing. And are you guys keeping all the vocals on, you know, the future tracks and all that just between yourselves inside the band? Or are there going to be duetic oh, yeah. things or all intact? No, 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 no. It's all us. It's all us. That's awesome. Any of the, any of the artists who want to join us can join us in the audience and, and, and dig our show. <laughs> They're all welcome to come, but we're the band. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and it's fun. We played in L.A. We played in L.A. and Jackson was in the audience you know, just loving it. So, you know, they're, you know, they're fans of us just like we're fans of them. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. That's great. So let me ask you a kind of a mundane question, just because I think some people listening are going to find this interesting. How many instruments do each of you own and what type of instruments? Like, are they things you've owned for 50 years, 40 years? Well, uh, go ahead, Lee. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I just I just unloaded a mountain of gear with this company Techno Empire uh, and reverb 
nation, I think, they're, they're whoever they work with. Um, because uh, we, I had a, a warehouse full of stuff over the years, and I, you know, suddenly went there and opened up cases I hadn't looked in in 30 years and found just lots of melted foam rubber and, and, and old, old stuff. But I'd say I probably have a dozen bases, and uh, amp-wise, I've got exactly what I need for the rest of my life sitting in my garage. Um, uh, my needs are really small. I'm not a gearhead. Uh, I've got my very my very first good bass, which is a '62 jazz bass, Fender jazz bass, which I carved up in the '60s, and it's what I used on all of the early section and James. It's what I used on Billy Cobham's Spectrum, and then I've got my Frankenstein bass here. It's actually just sitting right next to me. This is my that. my main love here. 300 autographs on uh, um, but for the most part I'm really not a gearhead I'm, I'm pretty I've got a couple of bases I bought at flea markets for 90 bucks that I, I love playing uh, so I've got I've got an acoustic bass and a Hofner and a piccolo bass and things like that it's just a covered territory but not not a big collector not not like John Ed Whistle who probably had like 600 bases <laughs> dang that's crazy Danny do you have guitars that mean the world to you i'm sure oh sure i do yeah i have you know, i have guitars i absolutely love i i don't have, i'm not a big collector either i'm like leland i you know i have maybe 15 guitars and of those i play two or three regularly uh, that are my main go-to axis and of course with with the immediate family i you know i like guitar effects but i don't use them with the immediate family because i got to concentrate on singing the songs playing the parts right and uh, the audience and, and I don't have time to be tapping away and, with my foot. Besides, I'll fall over. I start to, you know, if I'll fall right <laughs> on the end, you know. Was it, was, uh, wasn't that when we were at the Iridium and... Um, uh, um, That's right. That's what Keith said. Yeah, well, it's Keith. Keith came, yeah, Keith came to see us at, at, at the Iridium when we played there. He's a lovely fellow, of course, and a good friend of ours. And that's what he said about pedals. He said, I, I can't use them. I, you know, I can't be tip-tipping around, you know, stomping on these pedals. I'll fall over. <laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant. I lose my value. I'll, I'll, I will. I'll fall right over. Yeah, they may be for different reasons for each of you, but uh, I understand Perhaps. that. So, um, yeah. and that's why the three guitar thing must work for you since you have to spend so much time on the vocals in this band. Right. Yeah. And the thing that's really great is, is having Steve and, and Cooch and Wadi, they're so different stylistically, yet the same. So it's not like there's this kind of battle going on. Each guy has th this unique spot. So having three guitars in this circumstance is really great where I remember doing a, a, a Christmas show with these DJs, Mark and Brian here in Los Angeles. And um, Jason Bonham was going to play drums. And so we decided to do Black Dog. And Mark Bonilla was the MD playing guitar. Lukather came and played guitar and Slash played guitar. And then it all, they all three. And when it was all over, I looked at Boney and I said, "This is why Zeppelin had one guitar player." <laughs> it was like this, like it was like it was like a pose off on a bodybuilder contest. You know? and I thought, man, that's the beauty of this. I look across the stage, and all three guys listen to each other and find spots. So it, it's really a rich tapestry of guitar rather than this kind of cacophony which could happen under these circumstances and russ and i just sit in the back and laugh <laughs> i'm glad it's you guys not me up there amazing um and 
Look, you've each played with incredible, incredible people. Danny, you've produced incredible artists. I'm just curious if you might each share like something you've learned from someone that you were kind of around for a period of time, one of the great artists you've worked with, and uh, maybe yeah, a I'd lesson say, that stayed. Wait. I'd start off by saying, don't wait too long to order the food. Don't wait too long to order dinner because, you know, then you're starving to death and you eat everything. So, you know, order food before you get too hungry. I'd say that'd be that's a, that's, pretty good. That's pretty good. I can live with that. I think Leland would agree with me about that. Oh, actually, I, I always like people would say, what makes a good producer? And I would say, um, they know when the band's hungry and they order food and put their plastic down. I don't, I, don't, idea. I really don't need much more than that if they fired the right band. <laughs> right. But don't order too late, you know, order, uh, you know, so that it gets there right at the time we're hungry. That, that's very important. You know, yeah. I said maybe the most important thing. Yeah. Making records. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when you go on the road, you know, and you think about all the cities you've played and, and all the places you've been. And I guarantee you, if guys start talking about it, the first thing they're going to talk about is this great restaurant. You know, they don't remember the gig. You don't remember the hall till you get there and you pull up and go, oh, yeah, I remember this. But, man, you kind of go, God, St. Elmo's in, in Indianapolis. Man, they, they had the most, it was the most unbelievable steakhouse, you know, and things like that. Or when we were in Florida at the, uh, the crab joint. Yeah, Joe Stone Crabs. You kidding? We love <laughs> That's what we look forward to. That's what we remember. I don't remember anything about Miami except Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, and on this document, this documentary you guys have with uh, Denny Tedesco—that's sometime next year. I mean, how far along are you? I mean, how is it? What's the? How is he putting it together? What's the? I don't know what you would say. The style of how he's doing it. Um, mm. uh, it's hard to say because we really haven't seen any of it. Um, but he's, they're, they're deep into it. They're probably two-thirds of the way into this documentary because it would, they were at that point, they were doing lots of interviews. They talked to James Taylor and Jackson Brown and Carol King and Linda Ronstadt and Phil Collins and Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, there's like tons of people that have been brought into this who we've been involved with. Um, and then they came, they were in New York filming us when we were at the Iridium and we walked around the streets. But the thing that was interesting to me as I was talking to Danny one day about this, because the Wrecking Crew movie is a fabulous documentary of an amazing bunch of musicians. And his father was one of the greatest guitar players that's ever great the studio or, or this world. And, but Danny said, look at the, the Wrecking Crew pretty much was about a 12 year run of really working all the time. And he said they never left the studio. They, they just did what they did day and night. They were in there like a machine, just cranking out all these people's albums. Now, Hal would go on the road. Blaine would maybe go to Vegas with Sinatra, and he would even get marquee booking uh, in front of the hotels. But um, he said, you guys are completely different. You know, he says, you've been together 50 years. You, you wrote songs for the artists. You produce artists. You toured with the artist. So he said, it's not like we're making Wrecking Crew 2. This is a, a completely other animal. And, uh, and I really had the, the real pleasure when Wrecking Crew came out. I worked with all those guys. I was kind of a transitional player with, with those guys. So they invited me, Denny invited me to a lot of the screenings. And I would do Q&As with the guys and talk about what it was like to play with Hal and Nectol and Rubini and all, all these guys. And then things, they sort of faded and our group 
moved forward uh, as, the, as the music scene changed into the singer-songwriter movement. But the project's coming along. It's just everything slowed down. You know, the things where they have to do one-on-one -on -one interviews with people, a lot of people are still uncomfortable with having even a couple of film crew people, uh, you know, come to them or them going. So it's, it's moving, but it's moving at whatever the pace, or the conditions allow. And we still, we still need to do a band roundtable and tell stories. And that's going to be really, I think, the most fun is because the way we normally, when we're talking to each other, feed each other. And each guy says something that reminds somebody else of something. And then it just, it takes on a life of its own. I think that's going to be a real fun thing when we hunker down and do that. Cool. While we're on that subject then. <laughs> yeah. Come on, you guys. You got to give me at least a touring or a studio story. Now we've talked about food. Come on, give me a, uh, give, me a give me a story. Come on. <laughs> Bradley, tell him a story. Give me a no, story. Ahead, Come on, Danny. <laughs> oh, there's so many of them, you know. And, uh, oh, geez, nothing pops into my mind. Nothing in terms of, you know, the, what, what, what I would say if I was on The Tonight Show pops into <laughs> mind. But, uh, you know, it just, oh, boy. Uh, there's so many incredible moments, you know, that have happened. Yeah. Let I'm me see. Oh, okay, there's one. uh, uh <laughs> There's one, I was in the studio with Henley, we were producing uh, his second album, and um, he, um, uh, the phone rings and it's Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, he says, I'm coming over, and suddenly Jack shows up, and um, uh, we had, uh, who's that great guitar player from Texas, the kid, uh, what's his name, I can't remember his name, I can't remember anything. Anyway, there's Jack, and he shows up, and uh, we're doing these overdubs, then Henley has to leave. One of his many girlfriends calls him up, and there's some tragedy going, so he says, I gotta go, and he splits. So it's me, this guitar player, and Jack sitting there. Jack turns to me and says, Cooch, I need $2 million. And uh, I'll never forget that. I go, Jack needs $2 million? Well, and I checked my wallet. I didn't, I didn't have quite that much on me at the time. So. But I, I think he's made it. I think he's, he's actually earned that by now. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Jeez. Um, I mean, there's so many stories for me. It's like I remember going to Cherokee Studios, and it was myself and Greg Matheson on keyboards and Carlos Vega. And I can't remember who was playing guitar now, but we were doing a song that Paul, uh, Paul Jabara, and um, and Paul from uh, Letterman, uh, Schaefer wrote this song, and and Paul Jabara was going to be the artist, and we cut this song, and we all kind of sat there and went really and it just didn't work out um so they went and got two tons of fun named them the weather girls and and that was it's raining men <laughs> so, how funny but you know there's there's with, with all of us it, you know when you're looking at a half a century of experiences in the studio um it, 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 there are moments there's there's some moments where you just are hysterical when you're talking amongst ourselves, but it's not the stuff you're going to be sharing. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's it's magic. Every time you walk in the studio, there's going to be some kind of amazing thing. You're going to bump into somebody. I remember working on a project at A&M Studios, or, or it was um, it was Henson at this point. And I walked out of my session. I did a, a, a noon to six session. Then I come walking into the hallway and Herbie Hancock's standing there and he goes, what are you doing? I said, we just finished our session. He goes, you want to work? And I just rolled all my gear out of Studio A into Studio B and ended up doing a project with Herbie Hancock. So, you know, these things, it's just an amazing community. 
And so, I mean, yeah, I'd have to say, I'd have to sorry, start, start interrupting Lee. I'd, I'd have to say that A and M, and I can't, I can't call it Henson. I, I know, right? Jesus, I know. A and M Studios was was Harvard University back in the eighties. Everyone knew everyone. You could not, you could throw a rock without hitting some genius. Yeah. And every studio was filled with people we knew, people doing great stuff. I was there once. Tom Petty was there. Uh, Bruce was there, and you too, and me and Henley at the same time. All of them just walking around the hallway, giving you know, saying hello to each other. So that kind of stuff. And of course it rubs off everybody, you know, all the ideas get thrown around and exchanged. Like Leland said, he goes from one studio to another. And uh, th that kind of stuff was happening pretty much every day. What an incredible experience to be at A&M in the eighties. Absolutely brilliant. I, I agree. And I mean, you both must feel that, you know, the specialness of that and what that meant is a collaborative thing and juices flowing. And I mean, today, uh, this home recording stuff, man, uh, just kind of a bummer, man. It's, yeah, it's not the same. Not the same. Dude. One of the things that bothers me the most uh, uh, is that bands don't have a band sound. You know, there's groups that come on. It's just one guy who does it, plays everything. Then he goes on the road and hires some guys, you know, but that's not a band sound. A band sound is where the drummer can't be replaced. The bass player can't be. You can't just interchange parts, you know, and we see very little of that because of the way records are being made now. There are some bands that do have that. I would even say uh, Greta Van Fleet has a band sound. You know, they sound like a rock and roll band. They don't sound like a bunch of guys who never saw each other before. They sound like they grew up together. That's the band sound. We don't get that much anymore. And there's some great records being made. But, but uh, you know, like, for instance, um, I really like uh, War on Drugs. That guy's really good. But that's not a band. That's one guy, you know. And, it, and it's great. It sounds really good. And I like it. But it's not the same as where you get the sound of a band. That's why I love being in this band so much, because we got that. Yeah. And there were so many times when you're looking at projects that are like watching the Grammy Awards and some group wins and they bring up like song of the year or something. And there's 12 producers that come walking up to the stage and 10 writers. And it's a song. You know, you, what, what's all these people involved? You know, I mean, it's like looking at a movie now and the first five minutes of credits is producers. Right. You know, watch old movies and it was produced by Mervyn Leroy. You know, done. <laughs> it's over. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a different world, but that's certainly the 70s through the 80s was really the golden age uh, of this. There was the, the, when you would be at, at, at um, Record Plant or, or A&M or Capitol, any of those rooms, and you'd walk out and you'd bump into Harry Nilsson in the hallway. Or you'd, I mean, the, and people would just drop in on each other's sessions. It was like an open door. It wasn't like All this the time. big sign saying, stay out recording and stuff. I mean, it was a real community uh, of players and uh and that just doesn't exist anymore fantastic no you're right it was a time so yeah. um so before i cut you guys loose i know you guys are busy and uh i don't want to take too much of your time today oh, no, it's really uh, i'm just curious is there anything great you guys are currently listening to that's really kind of knocked your socks off in a way oh boy <laughs> other than your own music yeah, can... right now <laughs> no 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 i mean i can name a couple of things uh I love uh, Fantastic Negrito. He's got three albums out there, all great. I love him. He's fantastic. Mm. He, is, he is fantastic. And I also love D'Angelo, who's got a great album out now, or it came out a couple of years I ago. I haven't heard Brilliant. that. Yeah. Really done. Our, pal, our pal Pino Paladino is yeah. all over playing. Mm. Yeah. And uh, fantastic record. Um, th those are the things that immediately come to mind at right. this point. Leland, yeah, other, other than that, I may mean, listen to stuff I grew up with. Right. He's got to grow up with. Yeah, I, I tend to like, uh, when I'm home, I'm, I'm busy. I don't really sit and listen to music at home. And when I'm driving, 
Um, I tend to listen to, like a lot to like Sirius XM, the Sinatra station, um, listen to a lot of music of that ilk, and I go through and find different things. But the real problem I find is I might hear something I like, and nobody's telling me who the hell it is. You know, right. I hear it on the radio. It's like when DJs used to say who the artist was after a song, and maybe you would write down and go check them out. Sometimes they do like 15 songs and then they suddenly all rattle off some of the names and I don't remember who was what song. So the voyage of discovery is really kind of stunted on that level along with the, the advent of the losing record stores, which my favorite thing was to peruse record stores and just go through bins, maybe pick an album because I like the album art. They had no idea who was even what it was about. But those days are, are gone for the most part. Yep, I agree. So you guys have a um, a stage at live that you did that's going to re-air uh, mm. tonight when this publishes. Um, it will re-air on November 13th um, when this show actually goes out. So everyone should uh, find that. It's a remarkable show. Uh, it's stage noon. at live. Yeah, it's noon, noon on the 13th um, Pacific time. Okay. When, when we're doing it. Awesome. So it's the same day we publish the show. So there you go. Right. Back to back. Um, well, thank you guys both. Um, I love the music you're making with the media family and I really can't wait to see you live. I really can't. Well, when, the, when the album comes out, let, I'd love to come back and, and hang with you again and, and yak about that. Come back because I do want to address, as I said, you're, uh, you know, you becoming kind of a social media outlaw at some point. So uh, we'll do that next time. So <laughs> thank you both. Thanks, Elin. Thanks, Cooch. Thank you, Nick. Stay healthy. Thanks. Well, that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned a little something. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. Um, theradicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. Also, I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week. Till next week.